Simon. Welcome to Conservative Minds, a podcast about conservative ideas and thinkers. We explore what it means to call yourself a conservative, where conservatism has been, and where it's going. Each week, we select readings and conduct a discussion to share with you our investigation. Join the conversation by liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter at Cons Minds, at C-O-N-S-M-I-N-D-S. For episode 96, we have another interview, Change of Pace. Right, like we did last time, we're uh, getting into something new, doing some interviews with conservative people uh whether in media or business or government or whatever uh line of work we can figure out to get guests from and we're, we figure what better place to start than with ourselves after 90 some episodes maybe you can if you're still listening to us maybe you're interested in getting to know us a little better so um this for episode 96 i'm going to interview Corey, uh just like he interviewed me on 90, episode 95 uh let us know if you like this sort of thing i mean we're going to get back to books next episode too that we're not changing the whole podcast but figured after nearly a hundred of these it's nice to mix it up and uh, maybe give you listeners something a little different so let us know if you like it let us know if you hate it um but for now let's uh let's jump right in Corey. welcome to uh your own podcast thanks so much (laughs) pleasure to be here you sound like a really cool guy (laughs) Yeah, we should do a show together. Um, so let's, I guess let's, uh, let's get started. Um, what do you do when you're not uh, reading and podcasting for conservative minds? So I work for uh, a uh, trade association of uh, large companies, um, large corporations in, in Washington, D.C. And I focus on uh, healthcare policy, which these days is a lot of COVID but healthcare, uh, regulations, tax. So basically, I I advise large corporations on these days. Uh, much of it is advising large corporations on COVID uh, policy, and and there's there's some uh, advocacy with government. There's also some a lot of uh, corporate initiatives that uh, that we kind of run, and yeah. So uh, I do DC stuff. These days, uh, I'm able to do some of it remotely. Um, there are some upsides to COVID. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. So, um, you say you do it remotely. You're um, you're back living near where you grew up, right? Yep. So, I grew up in, uh, in the Mountain West uh, in a suburb of Salt Lake City. And where, where I grew up was kind of like a more of a working class. Uh, place my dad was kind of first generation to go to college type of thing he he went to college uh first at the community college and then a, a for-profit college at night and, and graduated probably when i was like seven or eight years old and uh, yeah so we uh when covid hit you know the whole world shut down and uh, we have four kids if you can believe that so when it shut down Schools also shut down, as we know, in the spring of 2020. And so I was kind of, I was started working remotely, like, like so many people in America in, in white collar jobs, like, like ours. And we, we were lucky to be able to do that, but, um, the kids were home and the remote school was a complete and utter joke, complete charade. So basically I homeschooled the kids. My wife's a nurse and she kept going to work during COVID which at the time was a little bit scary. And, and mm. I mean, th- these days is, uh, we don't worry about it at all, but, um, 
anyway, uh, it, that was fun while it lasted, but I wanted to, you know, I thought the kids needed to go back to school and, and, uh, in-person school, I think is pretty important. So I got permission to kind of work on the other side of the country. So we, we, I live most of my days in uh, a suburb of Salt Lake city. Kids go to full-time in-person school. And to be honest with you, life is basically normal, um, where we live, but, uh, but I travel to DC pretty often. In fact, I'm here right now. So, so what was that like growing up in Utah? I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't know much about most of the Western States, but, um, Utah, when I went, I went through it once. It seemed beautiful place. Utah, it is gorgeous. It's a place for anyone who likes outdoorsy stuff. Obviously we have snow skiing and snowboarding in the winter or riding snowmobiles. And in the summer it's, uh, it's riding ATVs, motorcycles. And, uh, and so my, my dad and his brothers had, had a boat, a ski boat, you know, growing up. I mean, we were, we were not well to do. I mean, we were on, definitely on the poor side. And like I said, grew up in a kind of a working class place where I would say of my cl- high school classmates, maybe a quarter of them, like got a four year degree after, you know, after high school, maybe a quarter of them, probably less than that. And, but you know, they pulled their money, they got a boat. So we, um, so growing up, you know, we do a lot of outdoor stuff. I was a, I was a scout, uh, Eagle scout. So a lot of outdoorsy right. stuff, camping, stuff like that. And, and it's obviously, uh, the, the beehive for, for Mormons and, you know, our families, um, Mormon LDS. And so, that was a big part of the growing up years. Mormons have a lot of kids. So there was just tons of kids my age and in our neighborhood, just in a few streets. I mean, there was just so many kids. So it was fun, fun to run around and it's pretty idyllic in a lot of ways. It was, you know, pretty safe. I mean, where we lived was uh, a little bit more diverse today. It's very diverse at that time. It was, not what we would call diverse now so much, but it was more diverse than the rest of the state because the state was basically all white. But uh, where we lived, there's a lot of Polynesians, Tongans, Samoans, um, and uh, Mexican, Mexican-Americans. So, so it was a little, a little bit of diversity, mostly white, mostly Mormon, um, lots of kids playing outside. Very, very conservative place. You know, I, I remember mm-hmm. the first time that I saw uh, uh, Bill Clinton bumper sticker at church. And I, and I was like, I pointed out to my mom and, you know, she was basically like, I don't know how he, how these guys like <laughs> could come to church with a, with a clean conscience, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So. Gosh, I, I, uh, I can only imagine what it's like to live in an area that's majority Republican. It's, it sounds nice. <laughs> I've never done it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for the rest of my life, I haven't really had that, but yeah. Well, it's, yeah. It's very you, different. And, you got out of Virginia right when they were about to elect a Republican governor. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um, you go to college in Utah also? Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, when I, when I was in high school, I was, I was not, not a good student and mostly a deadbeat. And so when I, when I graduated from high school, I, I worked for about a year doing odd jobs, like, um, worked as a driving a forklift at a warehouse and I, I, uh, at a freight company and I worked at anyway, this event center doing, taking tickets and stuff like that. So, but then I, uh, as a lot of Mormons do boys, I, 
I ended up going on a Mormon mission, went to uh, Houston, Texas, learned uh, some Vietnamese hmm. and uh, worked with the Vietnamese immigrant community there for two years. And so when I came back, I, I had never taken the SAT or ACT and my grades were horrible. So um, I wasn't even sure if I could do well in school or not, but I started at the community college and, and did that for a couple of years and then transferred to uh, Brigham Young University. So BYU, which is also a very, very conservative place. Um, but it was interesting because what really stood out to me was, again, I, the overwhelming majority of, of Mormon people are Republican, overwhelming majority. But he, I was a political, I ended up being a political science major and, you know, it, the academia, academia being left, I mean, it even held true at a place like BYU, which is just <laughs> like so, so staunchly conservative that I would say, I mean, of in the political science faculty, faculty I mean, probably 75% of them were Democrats, which <laughs> was like a kind of a new thing for me. But <laughs> Yeah. Did you, did you meet your wife there too? Yep. Yep. Met my wife and we got, we got married very young. So I was only uh, 23 when I got married. She was 22. So then you, uh, you came East to law school and I know your law school has been in the news a bit this week. Yeah, that's right. So I, I went to Georgetown, but I actually moved out to DC at first to work in Congress. So hmm. I, I was an intern in my home congressman's district office in, in Provo, Utah. And we, moved out to DC to be an intern in his DC office. And I thought, you know, I had taken the LSAT, but I didn't know if I wanted to do the law school thing. And so I, we moved out, my wife and I, and I, I took an internship just to try it out. And I just fell in love with it. I completely hmm. fell in love with, with Congress. And, and I didn't, I didn't realize that I would like politics as much as I did. I mean, I was, I was a poli sci major, but mostly from, I mean, I kind of like the academic side of poli sci but then I found out when I got to DC that I just love the political and policy side too, probably more so. Um, yeah. So it wasn't your your plan from when you were a little kid to be a, a politico. You uh, you kind of just came to it. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean i I had planned to be a lawyer. You know, I mean mm -hmm. that was my big dream, and I, I didn't even know if I would be able to do it. Like I said, because I was such a deadbeat student, and even in college, I was like, I, th I think I'm doing pretty good, but. Um, you know, who knows if I'll yeah. <laughs> be able to go to a law school or whatever. And, um, yeah. So after, after working in, in, uh, I was an intern and then I ended up getting a job, uh, at the lowest rung in the, in the Senate for a Senator from Arizona. And, uh, just as a, they call it legislative correspondent, which essentially means I, I write back to people. So if you, if you write your Senator, the mm -hmm. senator doesn't write you back. <laughs> right, right. You know, one of us worker bees will write you back. And, you know, there's a process and it goes through things. And, of course, uh, the senator will approve the the language for the letter and that kind of thing. But, but we wrote it. And, and after after doing that for uh, about a year and a half, I, I uh, went to Georgetown. Because I, I was kind of looking around and I, I really loved working on, on Capitol Hill. And uh, it, it struck me that the, there's quite a few folks whose jobs I coveted. And they had law degrees. They were lawyers. Mm -hmm. And so I figured like that would be the best route. So but you before you were interested in politics, did you have political inclinations yourself? I mean, did you always feel yourself on the conservative side of things, even as a kid? I, I think mostly yes, but I do remember 
I mean, my or my earliest political memories are I do remember seeing Reagan a couple times, but you know, we were little kids when that happened. So yeah, so it wasn't. I remember my my parents just talking very highly of of Reagan, but my first real political memories were George H W Bush, and and I I mean, I mean my parents and family members would just when they talk about the president, they, they, they just really honored him as, as a man who had really accomplished a lot, was good and decent to his core, you know, like a, mm. just in, in almost every way, like a real, um, p- person to, to look up to and, and to admire. And, and so I remember, I remember very vividly, uh, election night in 1988 or sorry, 1992 when, when Clinton won and that was the first time I, my uncle said like, you know, this, this country's going to hell. And I was like, <laughs> and I couldn't believe it because, you know, I had in my mind, you know, uh, someone like uh, George Bush was, was the president and he, you know, he, he did good and he was a decent person and, and he had good policies. And so why, why would, why would we vote for a guy who said that he, had smoked pot but not inhaled or somebody who mm. like dodged the draft and obviously had these i i mean i, I wasn't super aware but you know the sex scandals were i mean because i was like 13 years old or something like that but yeah so we had some some awareness but I, I i would say um i i had uh i was naturally conservative for sure but i do remember my my next political memory would would be during clinton uh impeachment and the, I mean, I, I remember the, um, well, I remember uh, in the, in his first second term when he was running in 96, that things seemed to be going well. And I remember saying to my grandpa, you know, like the economy's going well. So isn't that what a president's supposed to do? I mean, maybe mm-hmm. we should vote for him. And of course that was an absolute heresy to say, you know, you would vote for Clinton or something like that. And then during the, the impeachment, um, situation, like the, the, the house, uh, prosecutors, those who, who had been selected, I mean, it just struck me as like way over the top as a, as a teenager, it just seemed like these guys were just really gunning for, for Clinton in a way that seemed more than just a sex scandal, you know, and and that did Mm -hmm. strike. So that was my first thought was like, well, maybe even though I have conservative views, like maybe, you know, maybe I should look into this. And it wasn't until after my mission and I I was on a mission during the 2000 election. So I didn't get to vote. Uh, I should have, but, um, but I didn't for, but I'm sure I would have voted for George Bush um, had I, had I had the chance. But afterwards, when I got back, I was like, you know, I want to figure this out for myself what, what do I really think? And, um, you know, I, I started, I was in college and I would say, um, the, the Iraq war was something that, that really had a huge effect on me because I just felt so uncomfortable with it. It just didn't seem right to me. Um, I wouldn't say that I opposed it, but I definitely was not comfortable with it. And so I remember getting my friends like, you know, they were irritated with me because I just, all I wanted to do was talk about it, you know, because <laughs> yeah. everybody supported it. And I was like, I, I probably, you know, it probably means I should support it, but I just, 
Um, and I wouldn't, again, I didn't impose it, but I just, it just felt really uncomfortable. Like, why, why are we in such a hurry? Yeah. And so in the 94 election, I mean, I, I watched every democratic debate because I'm like, I, I just want to figure out, am, am I more in line with these guys or not? And the more that I listened to John Kerry and, and that whole crew, uh, John Edwards, I'm just like, this, this is not the fit for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think these guys are on the wrong track. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're better than I, better than I am. I, I, I thought the Iraq war was like not a bad idea. I don't think it, I was wild for it, but I definitely remember supporting it uh, for at least for definitely for a few years into it too. But I think, I think we've all kind of learned from that. Yeah. Since, uh, I mean, because, because I uh, learned Vietnamese and worked with the Vietnamese community, I, I'd also spent a lot of time like studying the, the war in Vietnam and everything. Yeah. And, and I had just really come personally to the conclusion that, 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 that was the wrong choices. I mean, we shouldn't have been there and uh, almost at every stage we made the wrong choice. And so I guess that really had probably set the stage for my feelings about uh, foreign policy in general. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, because that that experience is different than most of us who, you know, we our generation being born after uh, the fall of Saigon, and that's that's sort of like ancient history. The war we remember is the Persian Gulf, where we we won it easy. Yeah, you know, and I mean, we're, that, like uh, we're invincible. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I'm sure the same as you. I remember watching that on the news, watching yeah. the the videos, and it was like, yeah, America rocks. You know, we can mm-hmm. destroy our, our enemies. Um, seeing the night vision of the cruise missiles come in on CNN, you're like, yeah, nothing can stop us. But that's, uh, I guess it's inevitable that if you, once you have a few of those, you're going to get into one that's not so easy. Yeah. Yeah. So conservatism has changed a lot from George W. Bush's day. Um, you know, it doesn't seem that long ago. It's been 20 years since that 2000 election, 22 years now. Um, so where, I mean, I guess I'd ask you where, where do you see conservatism now, and where do you want to see conservatism now? I mean, that's a really interesting question because I think part of the reason that you and I got into this, at least for me, one of my motivations for the podcast, I, I just we would hear these talking heads on the cable news declare anything that uh, that Trump did or thought as ultra conservative. Yeah. And it just really struck me as like, that's, that's just not accurate. I mean, he has a lot of views that are, that would certainly be considered on the right side of the spectrum, but he has other views that are just not. (laughs) And and to say that everything he, you know, he says or thinks is ultra conservative is just, that didn't make sense. So I think that really started us on this journey. That was a lot of the questions that I had, like, you know what, I, I've, I've read a lot of philosophy, you know, I, I really enjoyed philosophy in college and even after college and, and done a lot of thinking, but not a lot of like political thinking about, you know, what do I really think from what is conservatism to me and what do I really believe? And I think that's what really got us on this adventure. And, and some of these books that I was like, there's all these classic books that I should read. Mm-hmm. And it just struck me as like, well, if we're going to read it, I'll, I'll bet there's a lot of other people who haven't read them and probably wish they could, you know, but don't have the time. Mm-hmm. And maybe we could read it for them and <laughs> they could just follow along with us. And, uh, you know, it's been pretty cool because a lot of people have, I think. But um, what kind of conservative am I? I mean, I would say 
Um, I, I would say that, uh, when it comes to taxes and economics, that's probably where I'm, I'm the most traditional, what I would consider conservative that some people now would say is more libertarian, I guess, but free markets, I think are extremely important. I think free trade is, has some flaws, but is, um, is, uh, an incredibly powerful influence for good and, uh, and creative, uh, positive for society. And, and I think, I think traditional values, although I, you know, I'm probably the first person to question a rule that I think is stupid or that doesn't make sense. That's kind of how I operate in the world. But I, I, I feel like tradition and kind of the family values that have been passed down, I mean, they've stood the test of time because they work, and um, and I, I just think that it's they're worth preserving. So I think you know family is extremely important. I think um, I think having uh, a belief or an orientation is 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 pretty important, and and also part of the human condition. And I think I'm can, my brand of conservatism is just uh, I think I think that the folks on the left they don't appreciate human nature and uh the fact that trade-offs need to be made that um that perfection is is not really reachable in this world and when it comes to policy i i am not really a believer in if we just if we just tweak it then we're gonna get the right answer i i think that if we tweak it then we might fix that problem but we'll create a new one um Mm -hmm. and i think that primaries for example are a great example of that because i you know all the years i was growing up um even the gingrich revolution or whatever you you'd hear politicians or 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 especially in the media pundits say like we we need to we need to have more transparency and we need to give more power to the people and less power to the back rooms like cigar smoking party bosses Mm -hmm. And there's reason to say that, but now we have the extreme of both of those. We have extreme transparency, which makes deal making almost impossible, and we have uh, the extreme when it comes to primaries and political parties have very little influence and power anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> over over the the folks that are in the party. And there's a problem there, and 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 so now we, you know it's almost like we've gone too far in another direction. But in, in my view, that's what conservatism is, is just kind of understanding that there's always a trade-off and you're not going to reach Nirvana or utopia. You know, it's, yep. we're, we're, we, if you trade off something here, then you have to give something there. I think there is a human nature. I think there is a human condition. I think that we are, um, flawed and fallen and that can't be fixed, you know, mm-hmm. in this life. Um, and uh, when it comes to foreign policy, I mean, I I don't want to come across as like a, an anti-war beatnik. Um, I, I am skeptical of war, but I but I also believe in a very strong military and and um, strong military budgets and uh, projecting influence around the world, although not necessarily spreading democracy through through war. But um, a lot a lot like the old fusionism. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it worked pretty well for a while. 
I mean, I would say what's different now, and I and I would put myself in this camp is like the cultural issues are so much more front burner, yeah, than than they were at that time, and even when when we were younger, I think I think there was the religious right sort of situation with cultural, but now it's uh, I, I think culture is like where you know eighty to ninety percent of the battles are at this point, and. And, you know, we've read a lot of these books as well. And we just, we've, we've read books from the left when it comes to culture issues. And I just feel extremely at home, um, on the right when it comes to questions of whether kids should be in school or not, Mm -hmm. you know, questions about, um, you know, should we, should we teach history with honesty? Yes. Um, should, should we, um, start picking winners and losers as far as like, uh, ethnicity and, and identity. No, that's not. So, um, so I think, you know, culturally things have changed a lot and I, I feel like I've, I've kind of moved with that. So I hear you. Yeah. And especially teaching a history, I was just thinking about that. Cause I, I was reading a book, uh, about the history of Canada and it's from the seventies. So it, it kind of strikes a good balance and it, like between, you know, history of today, it's every, every encounter with the native, the colonists are meant to look like, you know, like the worst uh, genocide heirs the world's ever known, you know, but if you go too far back in some of these old histories, it's like, oh yeah, they were saints, they didn't mean any harm. And the natives, they just, they just went away. No problems. You know, yeah, like, yeah. It, it, where do you strike that balance? You know, I want to read a history where like, if, if we did a massacre, it should be pointed out and say, yeah, that was bad, you know, but the mere fact of stepping foot on Plymouth Rock shouldn't be seen as, you know, like the the mongol invasions of of russia you know it shouldn't right, it shouldn't yeah. be seen as that sort of that, that's tough to strike that balance but i think you're right i think the the cultural i don't know why it is maybe it's because we're so much wealthier than we used to be but the the cultural issues really are crowding out a lot of the economics even when there's a lot of weird economic stuff going on yeah yeah i think that's right and a lot of that is 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 has become part of the the judicial like judge wars and that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. I would say that's another place where, where I am extremely team conservative is when it comes to judicial philosophy and strict instructionism and, uh, you know, kind of original intent of the, you have to, you have to put some guardrails up. Otherwise it's just open season to make stuff up. And we, we, we've seen that in, in some of our Supreme court jurisprudence, uh, from the 60s and 70s so i love our our uh, our 6-3 majority at this point <laughs> yeah you and me both yeah it used to be the congress that had to make things up but uh they kind of don't do that anymore so i i wonder when you first got to work in congress you know having a, a background in political science and having some political ideas about how the country is supposed to work and how the constitution is supposed to work but it what uh, did match up? Like, what did you see in Congress that made you think, yeah, this is good? And what did you see that made you think, this is way more dysfunctional than I thought? <laughs> That's a great question. The first thing that I really learned and noticed is that I think the members of Congress and the senators, not every single one of them, but pretty much every single one of them are there for what you more or less what you consider the right reasons they, they want to do some good. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I guess I'd grown up understanding politicians to be slimy and self-interested and, 
just there to line their pockets. That was kind of my expectation. And honestly, if you don't go into Congress with money, you're probably not going to leave it with money. (laughs) And their pension is the same as the staff. Um, I mean, it's slightly better, but not, not hugely better. And, you know, in order to get a full pension, you'd have to work, you, you would, as a Senator, you'd, you'd have to be there for 20 years. You know, it's not like you get free healthcare for life, which is something that people bring up to me still to this day all the time. Like I've heard that too. Yeah. (laughs) It's not not true. I mean, I'm here to dispel that. It's not true. Uh, it's basically the same as the staffs only, you know, slightly better, um, not, not way better. So I've, I just noticed that, uh, when it came to the Democrats, they were very sincere about their beliefs. And when it came to Republicans, they were very sincere about their beliefs. And I, I just found that it, they weren't nearly as craven and self-interested as I expected them to be. Now, that isn't to say that they don't want to get reelected. That certainly is the highest priority. Mm-hmm. But that's different than saying they're there for graft or to line their pockets and that kind of thing. Um, so that's one thing that I, that's a takeaway that I that I learned right away. I, I'd say I, when it comes to the dysfunction, it, it's gotten worse over time for sure. I mean, when I first got to Congress even during the Bush years where there was just such vitriol and hatred towards Bush stuff was still happening on a bipartisan basis. And Harry Reid hadn't invented the filibustering everything just yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, he, towards the end of the Bush administration is when he started and basically invented that. And up to that point though, you know, 2005 through 2000, um, six, seven, that those are my first years up on the Hill. And I would say things were still, it wasn't completely functional, but there was definitely stuff happening at the committees and legislation was moving on a bipartisan basis. And there was an expectation that if something went in a committee that it was probably going to get passed out, you know, Uh, we don't have that expectation now at all. Hmm. So over time it's gotten much worse. And I think the the realignment of the parties, once again, you know, uh, trade-offs and and what. Be careful what you wish for, like throughout all the, um, you know, the history of conservatism and and Bill Buckley and and fusionism. There was just kind of like a lot of writing saying like I wish, I wish all conservatives would be Republican, and uh, and we could have a, a clearer alignment between the parties. So a, a very clear choice and. And we got that. Yep. And there's some side effects to it, which is the teams are very cohesive and united against each other. You know, they have disagreements with among themselves, but what they are united against are together is against the other side. And so that has been a bummer. And I think when I first got to Congress, I was probably more of a, I I had become more of a firebrand conservative. My first years in Congress, I started to moderate quite a bit because I, more than anything else, I just thought it was f- more fun when we did stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, over time I've, I guess I have some moderate views, but, uh, over time I probably become, um, more conservative again, to be honest uh, on a lot of stuff. So, so as we've been, as we've been talking about conservatism for three years, which books that we've read and discussed uh, do you, you think are the, are the best ones, the ones that really 
hit home for you in some kind of way? I would say Tocqueville is probably the one that, that just really speaks to our current day the most. And Mm -hmm. I, I really enjoyed reading that. It is, it is big. It is dense. You know, it's got a little bit of old timey language, but man, did he just like look through the, the mirror into the future and it, it, he just, it's very, very prescient and incredibly insightful. So uh, I would say that's one. I think that, that Charles Murray's coming apart is also pretty insightful and gives us a sense for how the world has changed. Obviously Murray has controversy that follows him everywhere, but I, I just don't know what would be, should be controversial about coming apart. I think that it's just, it's just data and he just lays it out. And um, I think that one is pretty compelling. I really enjoyed the the Fukuyama book, even though he's become the butt of jokes at this point because the end of history was supposedly going to be liberal democracy. And we're at a moment now where it seems like we've, as a, as a world have taken a U-turn yeah. <laughs> away from uh, liberal democracy. And in America, we can see some of the fissures and cracks in it, but I felt like the book was, he's, he's not getting the credit he deserves because he didn't say that it was going to happen. He was just going to say that from a philosophical standpoint, we, we probably can't come up with something better. Hmm. And uh, that does seem compelling to me. And I, I, I don't know. I thought there was a lot of insights in his, especially his insight as um, insights on Nietzsche and stuff. So I really enjoyed that one. Do you think it's still going that way? I mean, do you, I mean, we, we, you talk about, we're kind of doing a U-turn, but do you think that's, you think that's temporary? The sort of rise of Russian style, fake democracy and Chinese style, like capitalist communism. I mean, they think they found a better way than liberal democracy, just like a lot of people in the twenties and thirties did, but you know, we outlasted them. Mm-hmm. I wonder, do you, do you think, you think things are this is a bump in the road? Well, it's a good question. I mean, I guess what the what the Chinese have shown is that strict authoritarian free markets, basically, um, the the country is a corporation is is an active hedge fund mm. is is a way to run a country. And when it comes to COVID, they could say that their results have been better because they've had fewer cases and fewer deaths supposedly. I mean, we don't know that for sure. (laughs) But at the very least right now in this, in this Omicron wave, I think they, I think it's, I think it would be tough for them to hide deaths and they seem to be doing better. But again, the trade-off is they literally will weld doors shut so people can't get out. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, you know, if you want, if you want, uh, if you want efficiency, a strong man and authoritarian government, yeah, that can, they can do the job. They can. But there will be, there's obviously going to be trade-offs. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be pain in that wake. And here we are, a liberal democracy who can't, can't agree on a lot of questions, can't agree on vaccines, can't agree on masks and whether schools should be shut down or not. And you and I, I know I hold very strong views on those subjects, Mm -hmm. but so do so many others. And in a liberal democracy, we have to duke it out in the public square course now people are trying to cancel each other but um mm-hmm. it's it's inefficient it's sloppy it's it's just a complete mess and you can't have a single policy where in china you pretty much can 
So I, I think that there always will be aspects that really appeal when it comes to like an, an authoritarian style. And, and the Chinese started out as communists uh, of the left, um, trying to create a utopia in the perfect world. And now they've become some, some type of like uh, left-wing fascist, but I don't even know if they're left-wing at, at this point because they're, yeah. um, they're so corporate. So it's evolved over time, but whether it is uh, authoritarian of the right or authoritarian of the left, um, or the utopia of the left, there's always a dream of like, things could be so much better. And it's hard to imagine how they could be, you know, just having with the human nature as it is. So I guess that's my long rambling way of saying, I, I don't think there ever will be an end a dest- an end destination i think it'll continue to evolve and we'll go back and forth and forth and back and the world will continue to go forth and back and back and forth and there never will be like we reached we reached the end yeah now, now we're all together doing the same thing i think you're right i think it, and it's it's like with the wars we can't really learn so even if we do come into that blessed period like it was after the Soviet Union fell and everything looked like it was coming up roses like when we were uh, teenagers and you know young men it was uh, it was a weird time in history and it felt like it could go on forever I mean mm-hmm. I, yeah I don't fault Fukuyama for that either it was a it, it made sense made sense to a lot of people but uh, I think I think maybe maybe what we can learn from it I think you're right is that there's a there's probably no end to errors and dressing up old errors and bring them out again and saying, no, it'll work this time. And right. Yeah. But speaking of uh, errors and old errors, who among our political leaders do you think is really on the conservative side who, or or on the other side, if you want, uh, who out there do you think is actually coming with the new ideas or, or at least the good old ideas that are, maybe something we can look to for change. I mean, you asked me this last week and I couldn't really think of one. <laughs> I know. But, now you put me on the spot. But maybe, um, you know, better. I mean, maybe you know, I mean, cause you're in that it's, it's evolved so much because I would have said Paul Ryan. And I know, I know there's, I can hear you listeners groan when <laughs> I say that. Um, I, I am a Paul Ryan fan and I, and uh, Mitch Daniels. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are, t- those are two guys from a bygone era. I mean, I think Mitch Daniels, who was governor of Indiana, he was the OMB director, remember, and now he's the president of Purdue University. I, I, he's probably my political hero when it comes to politicians. Yeah, um, I would say Pat Toomey is is one of my favorites, and I'm so sad to see him uh, leave the Senate uh, mm-hmm. from your great state of Pennsylvania. Um, Commonwealth, right? Commonwealth. That's right. We like to throw that around. <laughs> uh, when it comes to thought leaders, they're the people that I was. Now, I don't. I'm, I'm not saying that I completely agree with them, but I, I would say that 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 Cruz is definitely still a thought leader. I would say Josh Hawley is definitely still a thought leader. And when it when it comes to like conservative thought leaders, I think there has really been a cleansing because. Those folks that you would have named before on the outside, the magazine folks like a Bill Crystal maybe or mm. guys like that, you know, they 
the uh, neocons who hate Trump the most and they're never Trumpers and they've moved on. Um, the George Wills uh, of the world. And, and I think that uh, there's a changing of the guard. I, I, I really respect um, Ross Douthat. I really think that he is very thoughtful and has a really interesting way of, of thinking through things. So he, he's one that if his stuff pops up, I'll almost always read it. Um, there's not a lot out there though. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. really isn't. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm not even sure I could think of someone else who, if I, if I see that they wrote something, then, then I will definitely read it. I, I actually, to be honest with you, folks are going to groan over this too, but I, I like a lot of the, the internet dark web folks, you know, <laughs> like Sam Harris, uh, even though I don't definitely don't agree with him on a, on a plenty of stuff, he's I, I like clear and lucid thinkers, and I would say that um, guys like him or uh, you know I'll, I I like listening to people who who have clear eyed views but maybe a slightly different perspective. There's a lot of like IDW types um, in that camp, although some of them have have gone crazy. But, yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, so I, I listen to and read a lot of those. I, I, I always listen to Jonah Goldberg's podcast and I think, um, I, I think that he's really thoughtful, uh, at the same time, I, I, you know, he's also part of the never Trump crowd and, and the bulwark and it's, I don't know. I think, you know, the national review has gone through some real changes. The weekly standard disappeared. Mm-hmm. They've created the bulwark. They've created. Oh, actually, no. Uh, Jonah Jonah Goldberg's not the bulwark. He's the um, the other one. The uh, dispatch. Yeah, I get them and mixed so, up too. And so I don't really read those. <laughs> I, maybe I should. I don't know. I don't. I don't really read them because I. I just. I'm not interested in Trump like Trump hate stuff. <laughs> Very much. Yeah, they they do get kind of tied up in the fa- in the thing that makes them different from the people they used to associate with. And they, it seems like they emphasize it so much. that It's like, uh, yeah, but yeah. that's, that's boring. You know? Yeah. Exactly. I, I think it's something though, that both of us struggle to name people in the legislature. And I mean, nobody's naming the man in the white house as a thought leader in, in this decade or any, but that's, I think that says something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the guys that I would listen to or read and listen to would be, um, I did. We've read uh, one of Andrew Sullivan's books. I wasn't a huge fan of that book, but uh, I do think that he is thoughtful. So I I do mm-hmm. like him. I think that uh, uh, Chris Steyerwalt, you know him. He used to be on Fox News, but he yeah. was on, he was on the 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 campaign night team, and he got fired after after the uh, the Fox um, campaign team called Arizona early and it oh made, yeah made trump mad but oh, right you know i think he can be thoughtful and interesting and, and he's pretty funny um I, I don't know if you follow quillette or read their stuff i think there's some Sometimes. interesting stuff on yeah. that uh, and that that goes back to the uh the, the dark web or whatever that kind of thing so uh, tyler cowan um is an interesting guy he's he's that uh economist at at George Mason University, and he's run that mm-hmm. blog for like twenty years or something. And um, so those are heard... a few, but it, but I think you're right. I, I I can't really think of like there isn't there isn't that group of guys like 
you know, did, did you read Will this morning? You know, I don't really, right. there, there isn't anybody like that, that I, that I would for sure like call you up and be like, what'd you think about Will this morning? And kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's just a symptom of the age and how everything's sort of shattered and scattered among different outlets and different news organizations coming and going. But well, that, I guess, maybe it's the times, you know, or something like that. It seems like somebody should eventually cut through all the noise if if there's ideas out there that we're missing but maybe not yeah so i guess just to to wrap it up um where do you see conservatives minds going in the next three years Oh, that's a great question. And listen, for all those listening, I, I would love, we would love to have your feedback on this, but we, we, we would, I think we'd like to make it something more. So I think we've, we've had some decent success with reading books and we're going to, I think we should definitely continue to do that, but we're branching out with these interviews. I think we'll branch out with some, with some other ideas, maybe see if we can at some point do some, uh, some YouTube stuff. But if, uh, if there's interest and, and folks would love your feedback, I always love your ratings too. Um, uh, if they're mm-hmm. good, <laughs> give us <a> good. <laughs> just the good ones. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the, in a lot of ways we've, we've kind of covered the, the lakefront when it comes to conservative books, but in, a, in a, but then in another way, there's so very many left. Mm. Um, so trying not to be repetitive because I know if somebody looks at a, at one of our podcasts and it's like, Oh, they're going to talk about the same stuff. They're like, okay, well I, I can skip that. I've already heard it. Yeah. So we don't want to be in that camp either. Um, circle the drain. So but yeah, definitely some new, some new avenues to explore. So all right, this was fun. Next week we'll be back to books and, uh, Meantime, listeners, please let us let us know what you think. Let us know. And if you like the interviews, let us know who you think we should interview. Uh, hopefully somebody who will talk to us. Nope, nobody too big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Let us know. Um, and join us next time. All right. Thanks, buddy. See yep. you next time.